North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have a message entitled God in the Mess. And we are looking at the first family of the Christian, Jewish, and Islamic faith, Abraham, (laughs) and uh, the family dynamics going on between him and Sarah and their slave Hagar, her son Ishmael, his son Isaac, and all the intrigue that goes on between them like a crazy soap opera, and yet how God is in the mess of their situation with all their mistakes, sins, and and the things that get hurt. Today we're going to be focusing in on Hagar, and there's some really good stuff in here. So without further ado, let's go ahead and head to the talk at North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Well, if you're new here this morning, we, uh, we've been going through, we use the lectionary for our passages that we, that we go at, uh, that we go at, that we uh, look into on Sunday mornings, and we've been doing this for almost two years now. And the lectionary is just a, a collection of passages that are arranged around the church calendar. And in three years' time, if you follow the lectionary, you go through most of the Bible. And so we just decided to do this a couple of years ago. And the, the lectionary, it's, it's used by churches of all kinds of different denominations around the world. So you might find if you have friends that go to another church uh, that when you're talking to them, they might be going through the same passage today. Um, I like... The lectionary because it gives us kind of a, a format to use, and I'm not having to come up with something just topically that's brilliant every week because uh, there is a limit to my brilliance. I know it's hard to imagine that, but one thing I dislike about the lectionary is it forces you to deal with passages like we're going to look at today, <laughs> passages that I think are very difficult to look into because there's no clear moral to the story, right? I like the parables of Jesus because the parables of Jesus, you get to the point, you're like, here's the point. Here's what Jesus was saying. Let's go do this. The story we're looking at today is messy. The good guys sin. They cause problems. There's a victim in the midst of it. And yet God is moving in the mess. Now, the good news about this story is it it helps us all realize that no matter how messy your life is, no matter how dysfunctional your relationships are, we're going to see some dysfunctional stuff going on in this passage today. God can enter into that. So that's a little intro for this. I'm titling this message, God in the Mess. (laughs) Um, When I first became a Christian back, I was 20 years old, I immediately enrolled into Bible college at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. And one of the first classes that I took was uh, Old Testament survey. And I was introduced to this concept I'd never heard of. I hadn't heard of much at that point in my journey. Uh, Christophany. And a Christophany is an appearance of Christ 
in the Old Testament. Now, there's a few different examples of appearances of Christ in the Old Testament, or, or supposed appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. If you read the book of Hebrews, the author talks about the priest Melchizedek and actually says that that was actually a, a pre-New Testament appearance of Jesus. You can read the story in Genesis. Abraham goes out to war with some other warlords around the area, beats them, and then meets with this guy Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem. Salem means peace. He was the king of peace, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And Abraham goes and meets with him and then gives him a tithe of the spoils of war. Uh, you can also read in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is getting ready to lead the Israelites on a siege of Jericho. And one day he walks up and bumps into this guy with a sword drawn. He goes, hey, dude, you on our side or the side of our enemies? And this guy says, I'm, on ne I'm not on anybody's side. I'm the commander of the Lord's armies. And, and he's like, you're standing on holy ground. Joshua falls down on the ground. That's all we see of that story. But these are both considered appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. But we even, other New Testament authors, authors even take it kind of further. Um, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians it says that the, the rock in the wilderness that Moses struck, which water poured forth and gave the Israelites water in the desert, that that rock was Christ. And the Apostle John, in his prologue to the Gospel of John, says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In, in a sense, John is saying that, that when God speaks creation into existence, the very word that God speaks is Jesus Christ. He's the logos, the, the, the word that, that creates and holds everything in the universe together. Jesus is the cosmic Christ, so to speak. So these are kind of Christophanies in the Old Testament. But then you can move from Christophanies to types and shadows of Christ. People who foreshadow either through their character or their vocation, or their ministry, or what happens to them, they foreshadow what the ministry of Christ is going to be in the New Testament. A, a, a prime example of this, probably one of the best examples, would be Joseph in, in the book of Genesis. And I won't recount his whole life, but Joseph gets betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, accused of rape, locked up in prison. Turns out he's, he's really good at interpreting dreams. He leads Egypt through a famine, finally gets to confront his brothers, and at the point that most people would take vengeance and have their brothers locked up who did them wrong like that. Joseph said, what you meant for harm, the Lord meant it for good. So in that moment, we see a glimpse of the ministry of Jesus that instead of offering retribution or judgment or condemnation, Joseph breaks the cycle with forgiveness. There's other people who are types and shadows. Moses, David. But one person that I've never heard of considered a type of Christ in the Old Testament is Hagar. I, I bet if, if you're like me, if you've, if you've grown up in evangelical churches, if you've ever heard of Hagar or Ishmael, it's always been derogatorily. Is that a, is that a phrase? Derogatorily. Um, I've never heard of Hagar or Ishmael spoken of in a good light. And if you grew up in a Catholic church, you may never have heard of these people at all. But Hagar uh, is a character in this story today that we're going to find out there's really not a good reason to look down on her. If anything, we ought to be looking down uh, on, on Abraham and Sarah, <laughs> you know, the great patriarch of our faith, because 
They're the ones in this story who commit a sin. But what happens with Hagar really begins to foreshadow what Jesus Christ would come and do, specifically uh, during the, the final week of his ministry before the cross. If, uh, there, there's a passage that we read. Uh, oftentimes, churches read during the season of Lent and Holy Week. It's, it's called the Servant uh, Psalms from, from Isaiah 53. And this is, is, we take this in the church to, to be a, a passage that prophesies of the ministry of Jesus. It says, surely he took upon our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and it's by his wounds that we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is a picture of what happened in the ministry of Jesus, but it is also a picture of what we see happening in this story with Hagar. So you want to hear the story? Yes. Tell us about Hagar. <laughs> well, to tell you this story, since we haven't been going through the book of Genesis the last few weeks, i got to give you a little bit of background. Um, and I think we're actually going to be in Genesis probably for the next couple of weeks in the lectionary, so uh, we won't have to do as much background in the coming weeks. But Genesis chapter 12, God approaches Abraham. Abraham's just a pagan dude, uh, and, and, and God reveals himself to Abraham, says, Abraham, I want you to follow me to a place you don't know, and I'm going to bless you and make you uh, a great nation. Your descendants are going to be like the sands of the seas, like the stars of the heaven. And Abraham is crazy enough to believe God and follow him. And so Abraham follows God. But implicit in the call of God is like Abraham's got to have a kid, right? <laughs> like you don't get from dude with no kids to father of many nations without at least getting one heir. You know, you got to have that part. So that is the, the tension that defines the Abraham-Sarah narrative. God makes a promise, but it seems as if God is in no hurry to fulfill that promise. You ever notice that in your own life? You feel like God's spoken something to you, and it just doesn't seem like God's interested in doing what he said anytime soon. <laughs> That's, that's where Abraham and Sarah are. They're already old when God calls them. But then it's years go down the road, and there's no baby. Sarah is barren. Sometimes we get in that place with our own journey. We feel like God is, has really spoken clearly something to us, given us direction. And you get tempted sometimes to think, God, you know, where, where are you? I thought, you, I, I thought this was where you were going with this whole story, and you don't seem to be anywhere near. And we are tempted in that moment to take things into our own hands and to try to help God out, right? We want to help God sometimes. Like, maybe God was just wanting me to figure this out and go ahead and try it. And that doesn't necessarily work well. Maybe you're in here this morning and you haven't ever heard God clearly speak something to you about the direction of your life, but maybe you're just trying to live righteously with integrity. Maybe you show up every day at your job and you follow the rules and you got other co-workers who are uh, unethical, who are cutting corners, who are doing things that, that are sketchy and they seem to be succeeding 
And all these years, you keep trying to do it the right way. You seem to be the guy losing. And you're tempted at some point to say, you know, I thought that this was going to yield fruit in my life. I thought this was ultimately going to lead to success. But going the right way doesn't seem to be getting me any points. Maybe I ought to try losing a bit of my ethics. We get into those places, don't we? Well, that's where Sarah and Abraham are. And so Sarah comes up with an awesome idea. <laughs> the kind of ideas that we often come up with. I, I find most of the time when I'm under the tyranny of the urgent and I, I'm anxious about making a decision, I don't usually make great decisions in those moments. And that's where Abraham and Sarah are. And in chapter 16, it says, Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Now, I want you to know something about this. There's no place in this passage or the passages before it where it says the Lord made her barren. That's her own thinking. She's saying, God's made me barren. No, God just hadn't given you the baby yet. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. You know, there's, there's occasionally tests that you get in your marriage where your wife is getting dressed. says, how, how does my butt look in these jeans? My, my butt look too big. It's a test, guys. <laughs> many, many have failed that test. <laughs> I kind of think that she was testing Abraham here. Like, I don't know when we're going to have this baby, Abraham. Why don't you just go sleep with my slave girl over here? And Abraham, instead of saying, baby, I'm your man. I'm a one-woman man. I could never do something like that. Why could, how could you even suggest something? Abraham's like, okay. <laughs> or he might have been. We don't see this in the, in the scripture. He might have been, hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> But Abraham, there is, you, there's no hint of, of any objection to what Sarah is suggesting, which is probably where things began to go off the rail, honestly. And so Abraham goes and sleeps with Hagar, Hagar and she gets pregnant. And then, then this story starts to get interesting because now Sarah, who had suggested this to begin with, now she's having remorse. Now her insecurity, her jealousy are kicking in. There's another woman in the house that's carrying her husband's son. And now there's tension. And it says Hagar started to kind of taunt Sarah. I'm going to have a baby. You can't have a baby. Your husband slept with me. And she's just going on around and around. And Sarah's starting to get naturally very angry. And she's to the point of get out of the house. So... She tells Abraham, we got to get rid of this slave girl. And Abraham's, okay, do whatever you want. I mean, Abraham's like so utterly passive in this. He's just a wuss. <laughs> okay, I'll sleep with her. Okay, get rid of her. Abraham says, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? 
I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild, ass, uh, a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> Sometimes I like the King James. Um, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her there. You are El Roy, the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So Hagar bore a son for Abram. And Abram gave him the name Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now this, this, is, a, this is a pretty cool thing. Hagar is in a desperate situation. I mean, think of it. Think, you, you're, no one chooses to be a slave. So she's, at the, she's already in a situation she hasn't chosen. She gets ordered to sleep with Abraham. She does it. She gets pregnant. She is at the whims of these, these uh, emotions and dynamics going on in her world that she has no control of. She's just trying to be, you know, the, the faithful servant that she is. And because of that, she's run out of the house by the father and mother of our faith. And when she runs away, she bumps into God. I heard one person, a uh, theologian, talking about this passage. He, says, uh, he said that Hagar is the first theologian in the Bible because she's the first person to name God. She's the first person to name God up to that point in Scripture. Thus far, when God reveals himself, he reveals his name, but she, she actually names God. He's Elroy, the God who sees me. And guess what that, that name Ishmael means? God is the one who hears me. This is God's revelation to Hagar and to Ishmael is that they may look insignificant. They may uh, be overlooked. They may be obscure. But God sees them. And God hears them. Because God always sees the victims. He always hears the victims. He always hears those on the edges who nobody else pays attention to. And this brings us to the passage for today. She has this son, Ishmael. And Ishmael grows up. And, and several years later, just like God had said, Sarah has a baby, Isaac. And she's like 100 years old when she has him. I mean, she's well beyond uh, the, the time of childbearing. And in Genesis 21, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave, Isaac, gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, 
Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in this old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking, and she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac." The matter distressed Abraham greatly because he w- it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy of your slave woman. Listen to whatever she tells you. Because it is through Isaac that your offspring will also be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because, she is your off- because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He sent set them on her shoulders, and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So Hagar's story, she goes from running away from the house to bumping into God, having this encounter with God, and then God says, go back and submit to her. She goes back, she submits, but at this point, for the next several years, she's got the air. She has a a meaningful point to her identity in that culture at that time. If you're a woman at that part of the world at that time, if you didn't have a baby, you were nothing. She's got a place in that house, but now Isaac comes on the scene. Now her meaningfulness is, is gone. Now, now there's no reason for her to be here, especially in Sarah's eyes. And so they kick her out of the house again. And yet again, as she's running away and desperate, out of water, in the desert, thinking she's going to watch her own son die, she bumps into God again. God sees her. And we see, I love this, this last little line that it said that God was with Ishmael. I got to tell you, I, I, most of my life when I've heard about Ishmael and Isaac, I always hear about Ishmael being cursed, and I always hear like all these things that are so derogatory, but, but God was with him. God blessed him. God heard his mom's cry. God was with the victims in this story. And in a way... What we see with Hagar is exactly what we see in the ministry of Jesus. As Philip Tribble put it in her book, Text of Terror, she says, Hagar experiences the exodus without liberation, revelation without salvation, wilderness without covenant, wanderings without land, a promise without fulfillment, an unmerited exile without return. This Egyptian slave woman is stricken, spitten by God, and afflicted for the transgressions of Israel. 
She is bruised for the iniquities of Sarah and Abraham. Upon her is the chastisement that makes them whole. Hagar is Israel from exile, Exodus to exile, yet with differences, and these differences yield terror. All who are heirs of Sarah and Abraham by flesh and by spirit must answer for the terror of Hagar's story. What's the point of this story? I don't know. That's why I didn't want to teach on it this morning. (laughs) It's hard to find some kind of point in this. Oh, Father Abraham is passive. Sarah's jealous and insecure. And there are real victims to their sins, real life consequences to the things they've done. I know in my own life as a Christian, I'm embarrassed of some of the things that I've done, even as a pastor of this church. There's a few situations where I've dealt with people and I wasn't like Jesus. And I, and I brought harm. And I hurt people, and it was it's it's more. It wasn't that my motive was bad. I don't think Sarah and Abraham had a bad motive, and yet even with our good motives, we can sin against people. We can harm them. We can destroy them. We can victimize other people with our words, with our actions. And I think if there's anything that I'm left with in looking at this story, it's, it's morally ambiguous. Even the pictures of God, I'm not exactly thrilled about the pictures of God because it looks like God's playing favorites and stuff. And it's like, yeah, he blesses Ishmael, but, you know, Ishmael doesn't get it as good as Isaac. <laughs> there's things that, that, that I find very problematic theologically, relationally. It's hard to find a good, like, moral to this story. But what it does cause me to reflect on, who are the people that I've hurt as a Christian? Who are the people over the years that, that my own actions, even if they were motivated from a good place, have I brought harm to? But the second thing is, or actually I think I'm getting in reverse order on your outline. The second thing is, what are the areas in my life that I'm having trouble trusting to God? What are the areas in my life where because of my insecurity, my fear, my need to control things, am I just clutching tight to instead of trusting my life to God? See, that's where the story goes off the rails for Abraham and Sarah. God had told them something. God was going to do it. God didn't need their help. He doesn't need your help either to bring his promises past. (laughs) What are the things in our lives this morning that we need to give back to the Lord, take our hands off, and trust him with? And on that ambiguously moral note, I will end this passage. (laughs) Why don't you stand up? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the the gospel in this passage today. We thank you for the good news 
that you do enter into the mess. We thank you that you are the God who sees us. You are the God who hears us. Lord, when other people write us off, when we've been wounded and hurt by other people, when we find ourselves running away, God, that you are there. And God, I pray for those this morning who've been the victims of other sins, God, those who of no fault of their own have been harmed by others. I pray right now that they would have an encounter like Hagar had, God, that they would know that you see them, that you know them, that you hear them, Lord. Holy Spirit, make yourself real to them. And Lord, for those of us who've hurt people, God, I pray you would quicken to our conscience Lord, maybe places where we need to be reconciled or make amends if it's not going to do more harm, Lord. God, I pray you would quicken our spirits to know those things. Bring them into our mind, Lord. And God, I just pray for every one of us today, Lord, where there are struggles with insecurity and fear. Lord, whether it's our own pride or jealousy that is causing us to hold on tightly to the things in our life and situations and try to control them. I pray by your grace we could uh, take our hands off and trust you and surrender. Lord, that you, the, the best that you have for us will come to pass in our lives, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like some uh, personal prayer for anything this morning, I'd like to invite you down to the front. We'll uh, gather some people around you, and we would love to pray with you. Otherwise, thank you all for coming out. God bless you all. See you next Sunday.